I'm trying to think of a white NBA player who yeah. was considered like a style icon. Yeah. Right. And it's hard, man. I mean, if we take it back to the kind of constructs, whiteness demands that you get rid of your individuality in order to be part of whiteness. Like you mm -hmm. have to buy into the group ideology. Yeah. You have to buy into the group's culture. And blackness has been a resistance to that, which is buying into individuality and coolness, right? So even when white boys are cool, it feels like an appropriation of cool. You know, it's like, <laughs> no, we're all on the same team, guys. We wear the same Dockers and the same button down shirt and I, i'm not trying to be racist about it but but you did, whiteness you did do the is, white voice you did you did welcome back everyone to suck with amy young the show where we've all had fits that just didn't work like me because i was definitely the nigga in the nightclub 2010 with a blazer a vest and a tie some kenneth coles while swag surfing on the dance floor and dripping sweat through each of the 18 layers of clothes I had on. So for decades now, there's been a bit of a symbiotic relationship with men's fashion, particularly the fashion choices made by black American men in professional basketball. From Clyde Frazier and Michael Jordan to Allen Iverson and Russell Westbrook, NBA players have had an extreme influence on what we decide to wear and how we decide to wear it. And to talk about this history and its relationship, I'm joined by the homie Mitchell Jackson, author of Fly, the big bulk of basketball fashion. We also deconstruct our own fashion journeys, including fits that worked in, well, fits that didn't. All right, y'all, let's get it. This episode is brought to you by Visit Myrtle Beach. You know what's better than getting away to a beach? Getting together at the beach. Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. They've got over 2,000 restaurants, live music playing all day and night, and endless attractions. This place was made for playing hard and beaching easy. Welcome to 60 Miles Where You Belong. The Beach, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Plan your trip at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mitch Jackson is a Pulitzer Prize winner and author of many books, including Fly. The Big Bulk of Basketball Fashion, which was just released a couple weeks ago. Please cop it. Please go get it. Mitch, what's good? Man, what's happening with you? Ain't nothing. Ain't nothing. So I wanted to ask you, you know, talking about your book, talking about fashion, talking about NBA fashion. What is the worst fit that you ever had? Oh, my God, dog. <laughs> you know, what's crazy is yesterday um, I'm on a text chain with my partners from um, from New York. Mm -hmm. And my one partner puts a picture of the Esquire uh, five fits thing on the chat. Yeah. He was like, we got to have a discussion. Some of these is violations. <laughs> 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 then the chat just went crazy. <laughs> um, but that same partner, one time I was in New York and I had wrote a bio for this dude named Ozzy Smalls. And Ozzy uh -huh. Smalls at the time was a furrier. Oh, wow. And so instead of paying me 
money, he paid me in furs. So I had like minks, I had some rabbits, you know, I was I was walking around blessing people, hey, you want this fur? So I, I kept a mink for myself, a short dog. And man, me and him, just me and him, we went out one night to one of them, whatever club mm-hmm. was popping in like 2006 in New York. And I had a mink on with my Levi's and stuff. And I got in the club and I just felt so uncomfortable. I felt like a bootleg pimp in the club. <laughs> <laughs> and then we left and I was like, man, why you let me wear this mink to the club? He said, man, sometimes you got to let your boys jump out the window. <laughs> so that's definitely something I mean it wasn't a whole fit but it was an item that made me feel yeah. not like myself we obviously we follow each other on IG yeah. I saw your slideshow recently of you know your fits and there's one in particular where it's like a romper slash yeah um it's like a romper <laughs> and it's black but it's also like a um like a jumper yeah yeah, yeah. so a romper slash jumper <laughs> and so and the thing is I was like yo this nigga he pulled it off. He's doing it. That's a chance he took. And I appreciate it. And I was thinking about that. And I was talking with Morgan, one of the producers earlier. About this. I was like, I want to know, do you have a stylist? Or do you find those things yourself? Because you can't find that in Nordstrom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, it's strange. So I have another version of that jumper slash romper cover. And it, it's had sleeves on it and a collar. Okay. So it looks all different. It looks like you might even have a suit on. And I actually wore that to the Pulitzer ceremony. I just I had a jacket over it. It's Izumiyaki. And okay. I like the material because it travels mm-hmm. well. It's like it doesn't wrinkle. Okay. You know, you just pull it out and put it on. And then I saw that version of it. It's sleeveless, right? Mm-hmm. So uh and it was on it was at Nordstrom actually, but it never went on. It was on Nordstrom for like a year. And it did not go on sale. And okay. I kept saying, well, I'm just going to wait for it to go on sale. And I waited and waited and waited and waited. And a year went by. It did not go on sale. So finally, I was like, fuck it. I, I'm going to buy it. I bought it. And two weeks after I bought it, that joint went on sale. <laughs> 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 uh, but I don't use a stylist. And I, I kind of pride myself in being able to envision what I want to do. Mm-hmm. So I'll have an image in my head. And then I'll I'll start searching online for a way to execute that. And, you know, sometimes it could take months. Sometimes... It never happens. Uh, and it's a real joy, I think, for me to have a vision in my head and then to see the thing that can do it. It's almost like when you set out to write a story, right? Like you have a vision of what it's going to be. Yeah. And then once you, something will happen in the midst of writing it, that'll turn it in a way that's like, it feels organic to the story. And then you're like, oh, mm-hmm. okay, this is it. So I, so I think of it kind of the same way. And I, and I do pride myself in the same way. I wouldn't want to co-write, you know, an essay with someone yeah. I'm going to take my L's and my wins on my lonesome. <laughs> <laughs> I have a few friends who thrift, you know, and for them, it's like part of the experience. Extensive wardrobe and part yeah. of the experience of thrifting is to find, is the procurement, is you're on some like Indiana Jones archaeological dig type yeah. shit. <laughs> and you find something that's like obscure, but yeah. it, it works for you. And then you think of a fit. That it yep. might work with the shoes, the pants, what, whatever. And so there's a the part of it. Now, if you had NBA money, now you know I, yeah. I know we're both doing okay right now. Yeah, but I don't. We ain't got NBA, NBA money. I don't got NBA yet. money. Yeah. <laughs> so no, if, you, if you had, if you had NBA money, would you have a stylist? Nope. So you still uh-huh. would be like, you know what, I'm doing all this myself. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's a pride factor, man. You know, mm-hmm. it's like I want to take the credit and the blame 
in equal measure. And I'll say it, I was in Madrid uh, last month for my birthday. I had on a fit. It, it did. It, they were not the right shoes. I took a picture in and I was like, oh, this is it's not an L, but it ain't a win. And I was like, <laughs> I took that. I own that, you know. Uh-huh. So, yeah, but I, I think um, I think there's a point. And this kind of gets into the book, like even the 12th man in the league. He's a millionaire, right? Getting yeah. big bread. Like, if you think about what the NBA was getting, like, I'm from Portland, when Terry Porter and Clyde Drexler and Jerome Kersey, and that was a good Blazer team. Like, some of those guys at the end of the bench are probably making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, right? Like, you can't do whatever you want to do with a couple hundred thousand, but every dude in the league, from the minimum guy, obviously, to the max guys, can do whatever they want to do. So I feel like then it becomes taste, yeah. too. You know, it's not just... You got a style. It's just like, what is your taste? And do you really have a sense of who you are and, and, and what kind of aesthetic? Like, think about, you know, D. Booker clearly has defined himself in aesthetic, right? So he ain't veering off way over into the, you know, Kyle Kuzma zone, but <laughs> but I, I think he's found his lane. And, I, you know, he might not really – I mean, I guess it might be hard if you if there's a lot of demands on your time. So I don't know if I was in the league how much time I would have to do it, but I still would take pride in it. And your point about the money, you know, so I have a cousin who was drafted by the Sonics in 2004, David Young, mm-hmm. right? And he was a second round draft pick making the minimum. Yeah. And at that time, minimum in the NBA is, I think, four or 500K. Yeah. Which is a lot of money for a regular nigga, right? Yeah. So a lot of money <laughs> if you're making four or 500K a year. Exactly. But if you are a 22 year old and your most immediate peers are making that like per paycheck, exactly. Almost. And you want to keep up with them. You're going out with them. You're That's hanging hard. out with them. It, it, it's perspective, mm-hmm. right? And to your point, I do think that some of them maybe would still adopt that aesthetic in terms of like, you know what? I am, um, I pride myself on finding this shit. I pride myself on doing this, but yeah. just might not have the time yeah. and decide to like, you know what, to outsource it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And like, it's funny you brought up Devin Booker because I don't think of him. When yeah. I think of stylish contemporary NBA players, but he does have yeah. a distinct like Mississippi, even like a West Coast. It's a West Coast, yeah. It's a West Coast like death row record era <laughs> thing happening. <laughs> yeah. And so it's funny because, you know, we're kind of getting into NBA weeds here, but Devin Booker has gotten some criticism for being like, I don't know. There's this clip that is going around the internet where him complaining about being double teamed. And pick oh, yeah, up. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then Kobe was like, a, I need a triple team or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that has followed him. And yeah. so this is like, oh, you're you're trying really hard to be hard. But again, I do appreciate that he has a style. Yeah. Right. And he has a fear from it. And so the NBA basketball traditionally mm-hmm. has had this very symbiotic relationship with style and with fashion yeah. in a way that the other professional sports here just don't seem to have. Now, in your, you obviously have the soccer players who are style icons here, but the professional athletes here, the male professional athletes here who are considered icons stylistically are usually basketball players. Yeah. I mean, why do you think that is when basketball is maybe the second, by, I mean, football is by far the king. Basketball, baseball, you could argue yeah. who is second, right? And so why do the basketball yeah. players have that effect in a way that the other male athletes in America just don't? It's something that I actually have been mulling over and, and haven't expressed in this way, but it kind of came to me yesterday. I was thinking about this. So, you know, like basketball players, I mean, you could argue maybe for tennis, but I think basketball is the most poetic sport. 
I say that because mm-hmm. it's not only like, you know, the juking of a running back in football, but there's so much flying in it, you know, uh, so much grace. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I think that that makes them almost more appealing than, especially for fashion, than the brutality. We want to see in football, we want to see a hard hit. In basketball, you want to see yeah. somebody fly. And for me, even the name of the mm-hmm. book, right, comes out of that idea of like flying. I think basketball creates this symbolism that connects to fashion in a way that the other sports don't. And then there's just the fact that football players are often covered up. You know, they <laughs> they always got the helmet mm-hmm. on. You know, you got to snatch your helmet off to get some love in football, mm-hmm. whereas basketball players don't have to do that. Yeah. There are fewer of them. So, you know, I think also, you know, people talk about like how basketball players are so tall and it's, it's hard to get clothes, which is easier now. But the football players got them big ass thick necks and legs you can't fit in stuff and all that, too. So there's there's <laughs> an equal challenge in terms of your physique. But I really do mm-hmm. think it's more symbolism. Mm-hmm. It's like basketball players are grace. And I think most people, when they think of fashion, they think of something graceful, like something not forced. And then I think basketball markets its players the best, which is why, you know, if you look at the polls of who are the most famous athletes in the world, basketball players are the only ones that make that list. Besides Tom Brady, there was no football player on that list in like the top 100. So that tells you something for as popular as football Mm -hmm. is, they don't have a star power. And, you know, you brought up a really good point about like the intimacy of basketball, where of the major professional sports here in America, it's the most intimate, like the crowd is literally right on top of you. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's only a few of you out there and you're basically hooping in your draws. (laughs) right you're not wearing you're not wearing a helmet yeah you're not wearing like pads you're not wearing long pants you're out there with with a tank top and some shorts on and no helmet no hat no nothing to obscure your face right and so i think also to that point that the sort of young person who was a gifted athlete and who is attracted to basketball instead of football instead of baseball is probably going to be someone who is already a bit more reverent a bit more individualistic, a bit more yep. willing to take certain chances stylistically because you're putting yourself on an island if you yeah. are choosing to play basketball. And also, it's the most urban sport, too. Yeah, true. And we think of fashion and we think of cities, too. And basketball is a city game in a way that football and baseball just aren't here in America. Yeah, agreed. And so when you were coming up, um, watching the game like we all did, watching the NBA, who was like the first NBA player that you looked at? It's like, yo, this nigga's fly. Ah, man, it's so crazy because, I mean, I was a Jordan fan, right? And I mean, that's that's also around the time that the Blazers were good. You know, we got Clyde Drexler, but I, I never see Clyde. I never, I couldn't recall one picture of Clyde in street clothes from the early 90s or the late 80s. Not a one, not a single one. And I was too young to like be in the club with them. Um, you know, Jerome Kersey was still going out by the time I got in the club, but the rest of them dudes was not around. Yeah, there's no footage, no footage of Clyde in street clothes and no footage of him dribbling with his left that hand. That is true. But that right hand was unstoppable, though. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Coldest right hand in the game. You couldn't stop. I mean, he averaged 28 a game and you know he's going right. <laughs> you know what I mean? I didn't start paying attention until probably A.I., you know, and I feel like me and AI are about the same age. Maybe there's a year apart. And uh, I know a lot of people, like uh, some people have been asking me, like, who's the most fashionable? And everybody immediately jumps to AI. But I think we got to look at AI in context. Like AI came out in that 96 draft. I mean, there was Kobe. There was Jermaine O'Neal. 
You know, I mean, he's coming out around. I mean, who else is in that? Um, Antoine Walker, you know, Stephon Marbury. Like, all of those dudes were dressed in hip-hop because they were hip-hop. So he just happened to be the best of those dudes. And I think also the most irreverent about following rules. You know, like that, we talking about practice, even though that was much later. Like, to me, that, you know, Iverson getting his hair braided on the on the bench and, you know, sucking on the lollipop. Like, all of those things that really portrayed him as an irreverent basketball player along with having a style but his style was not singular to him that was how people were dressing at that time so that's also how I was dressing I had the you know 4x tees and the icy whites and I had me some Versace jeans and you know I didn't have obviously the bling that they had but I mean everybody that age was dressing in that way it was just Iverson was the star of the league at the time and also he was small enough for us to be able to model him, right? It wasn't like Marcus can be wearing some shit and you're like, well, I ain't seven one, that ain't gonna work on me. But Iverson was like an average sized dude, maybe even a small dude. Mm-hmm. That's a great point about how, you know, Iverson was just, Iverson was a part. He he was a person who also helped create and influence the guys, but he was also a part of it. He was also yeah. part of culture. And, you know, one thing about him too that I think maybe doesn't get discussed as much, and I'll even consider it, put MJ in here too. They got lucky. Yeah. Like for instance, Jordan, Michael Jordan got lucky that the Bulls colors were red, black, and white. Yeah. Because if he was with the Sonics. Right. Yeah. That yellow and gold. Yeah. I don't know if everyone's <laughs> going to start walking the green and gold and, and whatever with the shoes and everything. Now, obviously the Sonics were popular and with Kemp and, you know, and Peyton and people rock their shit, but not the same way Mm-mm. you're going to rock something that is red, black, and white. And Iverson going to Georgetown. Right. Right when Georgetown had the Kente Cloth yeah. jerseys, which yeah. I feel yeah. like were the best college basketball jerseys ever. Yeah. Everyone wanted an Iverson jersey. And he signs with Reebok instead of Nike, and they create that iconic shoe that everyone wanted, that everyone rocked. And so... Again, along with him also doing his thing, along with him, you know, being such a force of nature culturally, he did luck himself into some situations stylistically. Um, And also, you know, the tattoo thing, right? Because you just did not see niggas with tats everywhere. (laughs) Only Pac. Yeah, like Tupac. And And even if you watch old, if you watch like old stuff with Pac, I remember thinking at the time that Pac was so tatted up. Yeah. But you look at like old footage of Pac, it's like, man, this they're like 12-year-olds <laughs> today that have more <laughs> tattoos than Tupac. <laughs> and Harrison was the first one that I could remember. Now, I guess there was Rodman too, but Rodman is an interesting case because Rodman, I feel like a lot of the stuff that he was doing in the 90s are what people are doing today. Yeah, for sure. But I don't, for whatever reason he wasn't as influential yeah he was too far ahead he needed the lgbtq movement i do think that was part of it that a lot of what even i don't know if rodman ever considered himself queer but a lot of what he was doing was kind of queer coded and so i I think that we just weren't ready yeah yeah (laughs) you know what i mean we just weren't ready to to allow someone like that um to be as influential as iverson was but again if you look at how niggas is dressing today, particularly like the popular rappers, the most popular athletes, Rodman. it is it is Rodman. It's, yeah. it's more Rodman than Iverson. Young Thug <laughs> and Rodman. <laughs> yeah. 
And so the symbiotic relationship that the NBA has had with men's fashion is there is how the NBA and how basketball influenced athletic wear, mm-hmm. right? Because when MJ started wearing a baggy shorts, baggier shorts, and then the Fast Five took it to a new level, after that point, you couldn't buy anything but baggy shorts. Yeah. And that was a thing that affected everyone, not just basketball players. If anyone wanted to get some gym shorts, yeah, they were going to be bigger, considerably bigger than they would have been just five years earlier, right? Um, the NBA dress code. In 2005, the NBA adopted a dress code. I guess the league felt that the players were too street. I'm putting this in the scariest scare quotes possible. Too thug, too street, whatever. And didn't want them sitting on the sidelines with all the bling and the sweatsuits and the quote-unquote entourage or deposits or whatever. So they instituted a dress code where they had to wear suits to games, right? Or had to dress up like they were going to the club or whatever. And it's funny how, you know, obviously this sort of act has its roots in racism and the racist reaction to how these young NBA niggas were dressing and the league's reaction to the audience reaction instead of, you know, circling the wagons and being like, you know, this is our young talent. These are the people you want to nurture. These are people that are ushering in the post-Jordan era. It was like, actually, no, the audience is right. You all need to change. Right. But it had an effect on how we dressed off the court, too, because that also ushered in, the, I think, was probably the most unfortunate era <laughs> in clothing, where niggas was, was going to clubs, rocking business casual shit. <laughs> you know I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you can't really divorce that from Jay-Z and change clothes. Remember that? Well, I think it's all, I think it's all intertwined. Yeah, yeah. Because that all happened around the same time. And also, remember, too, that's when you also had a lot of clubs that had that heavily richly coded language. Can't wear baggy shirts. Can't wear baggy pants. Man, we had a club in Portland. They used to grab you by the knee. And if they could grab a handful of your pants at the knee, they wouldn't let you in. It turned out to be racist. They had a class action suit because there's no pan unless you got on jeggings that you can't grab a handful by the knee. But yeah, that, I certainly remember. I mean, that, I didn't even think about how that was connected to the NBA dress code, too. Yeah, because it, it all happened like from 2005 to like 2007. There just was a seismic shift in how we dressed when we went out, right? And my worst fits, and they're still captured on Facebook, <laughs> come from this era <laughs> where you would see me with the blazer, the T-shirt, maybe a vest. You with the vest too? Yes, yes, in the club, <laughs> sweating through everything on the dance floor. And I'm a nigga. I'm one of the niggas with a blazer, a t-shirt, maybe a tie, maybe a shirt and a tie, some jeans, and I don't know, maybe some Tims. I don't know what I was doing on my feet. Oh yeah, probably not Tims because you weren't allowed to wear Tims in the club. So maybe like some. That's true. I don't know, um, East Bay's or some shit. (laughs) You know what I mean? Man. Yeah, that whole era, and then very smart brother started, and I started rocking VSB shirts everywhere. Okay. And I started rocking them with the blazer. Yeah, yeah. I feel that. You got to do that. I mean, I had I had to brand myself. You yeah. know what I mean? I had to brand myself, you know. Um, I also had the air with the with the Bond Dutch hats. But oh, I, didn't we all? Didn't we all? We're not going to get into that. <laughs> not the Bond Dutch. <laughs> Back with more after a break.
This episode is brought to you by Visit Myrtle Beach. You know what's better than getting away to a beach? Getting together at the beach. Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. They've got over 2,000 restaurants, live music playing all day and night, and endless attractions. This place was made for playing hard and beaching easy. Welcome to 60 Miles Where You Belong. The Beach, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Plan your trip at visitmyrtlebeach.com. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Who would you consider of the contemporary NBA players right now? And I want to stretch back maybe the last maybe 15, 20 years. Mm-hmm. Who would you consider like the most influential style icon in the league? Um, well, you got to say Iverson because he is the figurehead of that hip hop era. Well, you know, you know? I, I don't consider Iverson to be contemporary anymore. Okay. All right. So we moving yeah. past him. Okay. We're so moving then, past Iverson. So let's say 21st century. All right. So then let's say Westbrook. Yeah. Because um, I think he's like as close as we're going to get to Dennis Rodman. Not as close as we're going to get, but as close as that era got to Dennis Rodman mm-hmm. in terms of taking risk. Um, I mean, I don't know if he pushed the kind of gender boundaries like Rodman did, but he's, he certainly was a risk taker. Um, I would say P.J. Tucker uh-huh. um, because I think he's like the streetwear guy. You know, he yeah. got all the sneakers. I mean, he was just on the cover of, I think, Slam Kicks with you know, sneaker god of the NBA or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, and then he also pairs his sneakers with really high fashion looks. Like he'll have on some A ones and a Valentino silk short suit or something. So I would say yeah. PJ. Um, I'm gonna put Chris Paul, LeBron, and D Wade as like a triple headed monster. Okay. Because um, okay, I think they're that? they're so close together. They do roughly some of the same things. I mean, I think D Wade takes a little more risk. He, I mean, I don't think the brother he wears a shirt like fifty percent of the time now. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, D Wade certainly uh, and 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 those guys embraced it. And then I think I don't think we get the tunnel without those guys. And I'm gonna add Chris Bosh, even though he wasn't as big of a star as them. Mm-hmm. I think he belongs in there. And then of the new guys, um, Kyle Kuzma, uh, Jordan Clarkson. Um, Shay, Gilgeous, Ale- uh, Alexander, yeah. and uh, let me pick one more. I'm gonna love the new new guys. I really like what's homie name uh, in Houston, uh, Jalen Green. Oh, Jalen Green. Okay. Yeah, I like Jalen Green. Yeah, he he went that that draft night fit. I feel like that's one of the best draft night fits maybe in the last decade. Like you see, homie from uh, Kansas tried to repeat it with that 
Red and it, and it wasn't. Dead. It wasn't working. It wasn't working. Yeah, he, he took yeah. a chance. He took a chance. Yeah, he did. He, he did. But that's when it, you know yeah. you got to take your L's, your wins, yeah, he, and your losses. That was an L. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's funny like you mentioned PJ and uh, PJ Tucker and Russell Westbrook because I feel like they're they're at kind of distinct ends of like yes uh, uh, of this because Russell. Russell, you know, is more of a risk taker, is more, you know, you could say that he his his style was somewhat androgynous. Yeah. And he and he got clown and he got clowned a lot. Yes. You know, for it. He got clowned a lot. Like people, even like NBA, like Barkley and Shaq and the inside the NBA crew would always be on yeah. him about his fits and whatever. And Russ would just, you know, he would just continue to put that shit on. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think PJ is someone who is PJ kind of represents like if the typical nigga had a lot of money. Exactly. Yeah, he's like some <laughs> you know a hood I mean? dude can yeah. understand. You know. Yeah, yeah. He like and the dope dealer of the hood mm-hmm. with some money. And he's still fresh. He's still fresh. Yeah. He's still fly. But it's a distinct type of freshness. Yep. Distinct type of flyness. And even you know the pairing like the sneakers with you know the more high fashion you know yep. looks. I think is something he's done more recently because I don't think yeah. he was always doing that. He would yeah. the sneakers have always been his thing, but. The look, yeah. you know, the pairing that's them, that's is something them, uh, that is coming Front row apart. fashion week influence. Yeah. Yeah. And so you mentioned the tunnel. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, and for people who are familiar with this, you know, you might have seen this on IG. You might have seen this on the NBA game where, you know, you'll see footage, you know, um, of the of the players walking to the locker room after they've gotten off the bus or after they've driven to the game. And they're walking through the locker room. It's basically their runway. They got their fit. They're not even looking at the camera. They're just yeah. walking. You know what I mean? Because that's the only time you're really going to see the fit. Yeah. It's before the game. And you're going to see the full fit. And so, you know, in your research for this book and talking to people, there's something I've always been curious about is if that tunnel was an intentional thing or is it was it just something that became like an organic happenstance or again was there an intentionality behind that? i think it came about organically i mean mm-hmm. I, I remember you remember when they used to have like the christmas games or the really big nba games and this is around the time where it's uh bosh d wade and Bron on, on the heat right so they'll have mm-hmm. the game and then they'll follow them into the game but it's like only the stars you see coming in and obviously they knew that those cameras were going to be there. So I felt like that was more motivation for them to to dress up. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had already gotten the stylists, right? So like Rachel was probably already styling, you know, LeBron or something. So they had a mm-hmm. stylist anyway. They knew the cameras were going to be on them. And I think the NBA was smart enough to realize that people actually care about what these guys are wearing. Um, mm-hmm. Because and initially, I think we needed it to be stars because, you know, if it had been the PJ Tuckers in them, walking down the the runway back then like i don't think it would have caught on right it it had mm-hmm. it had to be basketball's most popular players mm-hmm. uh on basketball's most popular team at the time that really got this going and mm-hmm. it just so happened i think the thunder were good around that time too so we had westbrook and uh kb and 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 um and harden over there on the other side so mm-hmm. i really felt like that was the birth of the NBA recognizing, okay, we got something on our hands here. And then, you know, Style Wars took off and everybody was in on that shit. Yeah. And now, you know, I've noticed in the last couple of years, the WNBA has been a yes, thing too. For sure. Uh, with the women's uh, ball players are also, you know, making sure their fits are. I, and again, it might have been a thing that they had 
been doing. Right. But I think they're getting that attention now. Absolutely. They're getting that that tunnel attention now in a way yeah. that I just don't remember them getting, you know, three, four years ago. Where yeah. now, you know, they got their fits. And, you know, another aspect of, like, I, I, I guess the, the stylistic journey mm-hmm. and how influential the NBA has been and basketball players have been, you know, in terms of just a symbiotic relationship between, like, NBA ball players and, and black men specifically, yeah. right? You know, here is another part of it yes. where, you know, Michael Jordan didn't invent the bald head. Right. Um, there were, you know, ball was in in the 80s and 90s and, you know, shaving your head bald or whatever. But he made it he made it a thing. He made yeah. it a thing that became like more of a thing because it was him. Iverson wasn't the first nigga with cornrows. Right. You know what I mean? And plats and all, all types of stuff happening. Um, you know, and it's here, but he helped make it a thing, more yeah. of a thing. It became more of like a national thing because I feel like that look pre-Iverson was more of a, like a West Coast, mm-hmm. Southern yeah, sort of I look, agree. you know what I mean? And then it became like more just like a universal thing. Like there was a point where you could kind of tell where a nigga was from just by his yeah. hair, <laughs> yeah, what true. part of the country he was from. And you can't really do that anymore. Right. And then, you know, I feel like the most influential, single most influential team or group of basketball players of the last 10 years were, were those Duke ball players back mm. in maybe 2015. Were they you talking all about John had, Wall and them? No, no, Duke. Oh, Duke. Oh, that's Kentucky. Duke, yeah, okay. like, and, and the Duke cut where yeah, they all yeah. had oh, yeah. like the blow, like the hair that was yeah. like the blowout, yeah. the curly blowout, but faded. And it that became the hair that every young nigga had. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean. Yeah, and who was it? Was like Quinn Cook. I'm trying to think of who else was on that team. Yeah, but again, I mean, the hair thing is something that is also NBA basketball players, particularly, have been. I don't know, um, vanguards. Um, yeah, man. You know, with with hair, and I guess how does that fit in with this whole conversation about style? Because I think when people think of style they they maybe immediately think about clothing and not necessarily about you know the way you decide to wear your hair man i i think um you know one of my favorite quotes about style is miles davis and says you got to have style in everything you do and Mm -hmm. i think black men in particular even if they're not aware of that take that to heart like how you walk you know how you stand Mm -hmm. uh you know how you pose for your picture Mm-hmm. Um, and so obviously that's going to come to also how you wear your clothes and how you style mm-hmm. your hair. And uh, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned college because I, w- I don't watch a lot of college ball anymore, but I, I got to watch March Madness. Right. So when you get down to the sweet 16, like I'm back on it. And I remember mm-hmm. watching last year and going, damn, all these little dudes got job and rent cuts, you know. So like mm-hmm. clearly he's influential among the, the kids. You know, they got the little they got the braid with the little color in there, you know, mm-hmm. so. I think you can clearly see how these younger dudes are modeling after the younger NBA players in terms of style, even in terms of like where you wear your armband on your re- or re- where you wear your leg band or mm-hmm. um, how you signal a three. Right. That to mm-hmm. me, that's all like, remember when you was playing, like if you hit a three, people used to put their hands up like this when I was playing, you know, three, like mm-hmm. the referee. Now everybody doing all this you know, uh, what's the little dude from um, from the Lakers, the white boy from the Lakers? Oh, um, Austin. Um, Austin yeah, Austin Reed. He cannot make a three without 
running by and doing <laughs> yeah, all no. this shit. So even that to me is style, right? And that comes out of the league or vice versa, right? So in the college game and the league, yeah. But I, but I do think that black men especially depended on style because it was a way to kind of beat back oppression, right? It was a way to signal that my life had value and that I, w- I had control over things that were happening in my life. So I think that was really, really important. And I think we've held on to that. Well, and that's a that's a great point. And and really quickly too, like I I was just googling this just now is like that that Duke cut. It was from the 2015 um, championship team where they had Jalal Okafor, Justice Winslow, Tyus Jones, Quinn Cook, and they all had yeah. the same haircut where they all yeah. had like the curly fro, but with, with the tapered fade. Yeah. Right. And then that became like every young nigga that I saw that was around me had that yeah. cut. My nephews had that cut. <laughs> All the young niggas I, I who would sometimes had that cut. Youngest I see in the street would have that cut. And then yeah. they would, you know, have the, they would, you know, flip it, freak it. And, you know, maybe someone have the blonde in the hair. Maybe someone have the parts where yeah. they had like the fade. But that's the Duke cut. But um, your point about black men, particularly, mm-hmm. you know, I I was talking again uh, before, the, before the show with Morgan, um, our producer, about how a lot of these measures, and we talked about this on the show with the NBA, were because of racism. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, you got to dress this way because of racism. You can't wear this in the club because of racism. And so instead of, you know, obviously we, we're dealing with that racism. We're dealing with, you know, this oppression. We're dealing with this suppression of voice. But they were just like, you know, fuck it. If, you, if, if you're going to make this rules, we're going to flip them. We're going to freak yeah. them. We're going we're, we're, we're to show you. You know what I mean? What we could do, we, we could show you the virtuosity. You know what I mean? We could yeah. show you what, what we could do within this construct that you created for us. We're going to break this shit. We're going to break yeah. this paradigm. It reminds me in a way of like the lore behind soul food. Mm, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? We're, yeah, yeah. You're like, I'm going to eat these chitlins, but I'm going to spice yeah. them up though. <laughs> I'm gonna eat these ribs and you know these greens or whatever, but we're gonna freak them. We're gonna we're gonna make them a delicacy. We're gonna make them the shit that everybody wants. Yeah, we're gonna make them the shit that everyone, you know, savors. You know what I mean? Um, and so it's funny. Bring up Austin Reeves, right? Lakers player, somewhat popular now, white boy in the league. The NBA has had white players. Yes, <laughs> it's not an all black <laughs> league. But I'm trying to think of a white NBA player yeah. who was considered like a style icon. Yeah. Right. And it's hard. Man. And so and, and and there are white like soccer players in Europe who are considered icons. But for whatever reason in America, mm-hmm. particularly in with basketball, the white boys who are playing just don't get that same sort of consideration. Yeah. Um, and they're not doing the same yeah. things. And is this something that you notice as well? Yeah, man, because I was looking at that that 96 draft included Steve Nash, you know. Mm-hmm. And actually, if you think about it, Steve Nash won two MVPs and uh, and Iverson won one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, and neither one of them got a chip. So they both Hall of Fame players. But when no one's going around saying, man, remember Steve Nash, shaggy haircut? I need to get that. <laughs> um, I think it's because, uh, I mean, if we take it, back to the kind of constructs that like whiteness demands that you get rid of your individuality in order to be part of whiteness. Like you have Mm -hmm. to buy into the group ideology. You have to buy into the group's culture. Right. And blackness has been a resistance to that 
which is um, like buying into individuality and coolness, right? So even when white when white boys are cool, they're actually it feels like an appropriation of cool because in order to be white, it's like the white is like anti cool. You know, it's like, no, we're all on the same team, guys. We wear the same Dockers and the same button down shirt. And I, I'm not trying to be racist about it, but but whiteness you did, you is. You did do the white voice. You did, you did do the white <laughs> You did bring the white voice out. <laughs> uh, 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 yeah. So, so I, I think that, you know, whiteness is a construct that demands that we kind of think the same, dress the same, do the same things. And everybody else is outside of that, right? Like you can't mm -hmm. be a part of this unless you join this. I think of like country clubs, right? Like country clubs have dress codes too, mm -hmm. right? But ain't nobody tripping because we ain't in there at the, yeah. <laughs> at the country clubs, right? So, mm -hmm. so I do think that that's why, because, you know, when Austin Reeves is doing that, I'm thinking, where did he get that from? I'm not yeah. thinking that he invented that. I mean, I admire it because I remember guys like uh, White Chocolate. Remember Jason Williams? Now he or, had, yeah. Now yeah. he he had some. He's a person that I would consider to be a style icon, also. Yeah. And he's okay. from West Virginia. He's from like Appalachia. But I remember seeing like a doc on him, I think, or or, or some interview where he basically was raised all around black people. Like so, mm -hmm. so it's it's like by osmosis he got this. Yeah. This, this cool factor in him. I, Kevin Love is, is from my area and, and, you know, played high school against some of my little young partners. And Kevin Love is not cool. He's he's like white guy, nice, and he dresses well. But like, mm -hmm. I don't think anyone is like Kevin Love is cool. And so from it, but I also know <laughs> that he didn't grow up around us, you mm -hmm. know, so like he yeah. don't have the Jason. I'll be I'll be interested to know um, Pistol Pete, who he grew up around, because he seemed to have that same kind of flamboyance as um. It's Jason yeah. Williams. Yeah, and and you could name them. You can name them throughout history. Pistol Pete, Rex Chapman is yep. another one. Yep. You know what I mean? And again, Rex Chapman grew up around yeah. us. You know, famously had like a black girlfriend when he was at Kentucky, and that was like a thing. That mm -hmm. was an actual like thing yeah. um, when he was at Kentucky, and this is in like the late 80s. Um, Tyler Hero is another Tyler one. Tyler Hero, yeah. He really pressing on it, boy. He wanted bad. He's a guy that... <laughs> <laughs> to your point, I look at him and I'm like, yeah, this is. Yeah, like he reaching, he reaching. Yeah. It yeah. ain't him yet. He ain't found him. And also, but I mean, these guys are so young too, right? Like yeah. we're talking about guys who are in their early 20s. Like who finds themselves in their early 20s? I mean, I was I was rocking the Vaughn Dutch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the snapback. Miss <laughs> Jackson. Thank you for coming through um, today for the show. This, this was a lot of fun. Also, please, everyone, go and cop fly Mitch's tremendous book on the history of basketball fashion. It is a great coffee table book. It's a great book just to pick up and read and, and like pass around. Like I keep mentioning the Morgan, but I gave it to Morgan and she said she's not giving it back <laughs> <laughs> to me. I let my dad look at it when he was over for Labor Day. You know what I mean? And it's just, it's one of those books that the 14-year-old me would have appreciated just as much as a 44-year-old me. Mm, yeah, you know what man. I mean? And you, and you can't say that. I can't say that about every book that I buy, even the books that I love. Yeah. You know what I mean? So please go and comment this book because he, he did a tremendous thing with that. I appreciate you, dog, man, for sure. All right. Thanks again, man.
Again, just want to thank Mr. Jackson for coming through. Great conversation, great guest, great topic. Thank you all again for coming. Again, it could have been anywhere else in the world, but you chose to be here with us at Suck With David Young. So thank you for that. You can find Suck With David Young wherever you get your podcast. But if you're on the Spotify app, please have some fun with the interactive questions and polls and answers and whatever. Knock yourself out. Have a lot of fun with that. And again, if you have any questions about anything whatsoever, hit me up at DearDamon at Crooked.com. All right, y'all. See you next week. Stuck with Damon Young is hosted by me, Damon Young. From Crooked Media, our executive producers are Kendra James and Madeline Herringer. Our producers are Ryan Wallerson and Morgan Moody. Mixing and mastering by Sarah Gibble-Laska and the folks at Chapter 4. Theme music and score by Taka Yasuzawa. And special thanks to Charlotte Landis. And from Spotify, our executive producers are Lauren Silverman, Neil Drumming, and Matt Schultz. Special thanks to Leslie Guam and Crystal Hall Stressler.